So when you sing what a powerful name it is, our sin aren't rolled ahead for a year. Our sin is forever gone. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. I think that deserves some celebration and some praise. What a price he paid so that we might have life and that we could have it more abundantly. Let's praise him again today, shall we? Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. It is wonderful to see everybody here today, of course. We're, we're always glad to see folks show up for church. We're always happy about that. And uh, this would be a very lonely place here this morning if no one showed up, right? Uh, in Louisiana, you call that by yourself. But we're glad you're here. And uh, those of you joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we welcome you as well. And we hope you feel in your home, in your living room, wherever you may be, what we're feeling here today. But we're all always so thrilled and excited to see our guests here today join us for worship, and we're glad you're here. Let's welcome all of our guests here today, shall we? We're glad you're here. Thank the Lord. Before we turn to the Word of the Lord, nobody wants to hear announcements once, much less twice. But uh, I do want to remind all of you that we are having prayer Tuesday evening. Uh, This coming Tuesday at 7.30 here in the sanctuary. We're asking you to be here. Uh, This is the most important thing we can do over everything else. And uh, we're asking you to be here for prayer. And then I also would like to remind all of our church leadership team of our May 19th meeting that will be in the A Center. Brother Dave Bunch will be teaching that class, and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a great time together. So especially remember those two things. I want to call your attention this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 4 and read a very familiar scripture reading. This is one of those messages I believe God has given me for today and I've, I'm not as comfortable with it maybe as God is. But I, I do my best to follow his lead. Um, we'll, we'll put this in the hands of the Lord today. Paul said in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want or lack. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning about the myth of greener grass. The myth of greener grass. Everyone say thank the Lord for the word. God bless you. Thank you for standing in your patience. You may be seated. I literally had this experience several years ago. Uh, my family will affirm what I'm about to say is true. I felt wonderful that day, but to add to this wonderful feeling, I must admit that I was hot, I was tired, I was a little weary. I had just finished mowing the yard. I ran the weed eater, I'd edged the sidewalks, blew all the grass clippings away. My family can vouch how I can be with my yard. 
I surveyed, well, when I was finished, I was sitting out back in my swing in the backyard, and I was surveying my little kingdom. All was well. All of the lawn equipment had been put up, and now I was eating my much-deserved Big Mac meal that Casey went and picked up for me at McDonald's. I was drinking a Diet Coke, and I was listening to the lawn sprinklers tick, 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 tick around the yard as they watered the yard. A long Saturday morning was now over, and I had accomplished something. To me, my yard looked absolutely amazing. You folks don't know me. When I mowed the grass, I don't do it anymore, but when I did back then, the more went exactly down the exact same tire track. You turn around and come right back the same tire track. I allowed someone, I'm not going to call her name, the lady I'm married to, I'm not going to call her name, she wanted to mow one time. I let her mow, and then them tracks went all over the yard. You're not doing that no more. I, just, I can't handle it. I just, the grass was mowed. She did a great job mowing, but those tire tracks is what messed me up. They had to be straight. So after eating my Big Mac, <clears throat> I got up to go back inside and refill my cup of Diet Coke. Having refilled it, I headed back out to the door, to the patio, with a sense of accomplishment and contentment about the entire project. But just as I was walking out the door, I picked up a magazine that my sister-in-law had given me about flower beds and decks and fountains and all that, and I picked it up, and it ended up being a real huge mistake. I had not been out back for about 10 minutes that the more I flipped through that magazine, the more disgruntled and unhappy I became. The feelings I had just had of accomplishment and, and contentment had given way to envy and very high levels of discontentment. It took a total of about five minutes of looking to all those well-manicured lawns and those beautiful, extravagant homes to get me so very dissatisfied with my lawn, my home, and every other little detail of my own life. And suddenly, out of nowhere... I had fallen headlong into a death trap of sins, of discontentment, of murmuring, complaining, and soul-draining envy had me in their clutches. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I'm not being evangelistic. Not on this story. Now, whether you want to categorize those things as sin or not, you have that choice. But the more you study the Bible, the more you realize that all of those things that are really missing the mark for God's high and holy living calling. This is one of the back doors that the devil often sneaks into and catches us blindly and chokes out gratitude that should be in our life. This is the premise upon which our whole society generally is based on. For example, if the car you drive is just fine, except it doesn't have a GPS screen built into the stereo system, it doesn't have a backup camera on it, it doesn't have some comfort controls for the other passengers, it just doesn't have, and you fill in the blank. And the computer you have is just fine, 
Except it doesn't have that high-tech special mouse device, and it doesn't have that high-definition, widescreen, large monitor, and it doesn't work at warp speed, and it just doesn't have. And you fill in the blank. The home you live in is just fine, except it doesn't have a pool in the backyard, perhaps, or it's not located, perhaps, in the country club of Louisiana, or it doesn't have a full-time yard boy, or it doesn't have, and you fill in the blank. The place you work, for example, is just fine, except it doesn't have matching funds for your 401k plan, and it doesn't have free lunch opportunities, and it doesn't have a family atmosphere, and it just doesn't have, and you fill in the blame. Let's keep going on this for one more cycle. The spouse you have is just fine, except, and you just go ahead and fill in the blanks all you want to on that one the cycle becomes deadly for us to try to live in yet our society runs on this sort of concept that always has to make us feel as if we're missing out on life if we don't have the latest and greatest whatever you need that new widget you need that new doodad you need that new gizmo it's difficult to live in this kind of gripping discontentment when our society cannot understand the difference between wants and needs. The devil will take advantage of us if we're not careful in our pursuits of so-called happiness. Discontentment. Discontentment is what you could call the if-only disease. If only I had more money. If only I could make better grades. If only we owned a nicer home. If only... We hadn't made that bad investment. If only I hadn't come from such a background. If only our pastor was. And you can fill in the blank. If only my child were healthier. If only we could have children. If only we didn't have children. If only the business could have succeeded. Only if my husband hadn't passed away so young. If I had said no to drugs. If, I, if only they had given me a break. If, if only I hadn't had that accident. If only we could get back on our feet. If only, if only, if only, and the list goes on and on and on. This kind of mentality will destroy you both physically and spiritually. Thomas Watson said discontent is a fretting humor which dries the brain, wastes the spirit, and corrodes and eats out the comfort of life. Discontentment makes a man so that he doesn't enjoy what he possesses. A drop of two or vinegar, Watson said, will sour a whole glass of water. Let a man have the affluence and confluence of worldly comforts, yet a drop or two of discontentment will embitter and empoison all of it. J.F. Clark said the root of all discontentment is self-love. Benjamin Franklin said the more self is indulged, the more it demands. And therefore, of all men, the, the, the selfish are the most discontented. Feltham said discontentment is like black ink poured into water, which fills the whole fountain full of blackness. It casts a cloud over the mind and renders it more occupied about the evil which dequiets than about the means of removing it. Discontentment will take you places that you would never want to go. A little Swiss watch 
had been made with the smallest of parts, but with the greatest of skill. Yet it was dissatisfied with its restricted sphere of influence that rests solely on a lady's left wrist. It envied the position of the great tower clock on the city hall. So one day as it passed with its owner by the city hall, the tiny watch exclaimed, I wish I could go way up there. I could then serve many instead of just one. Now it it so happened that its owner was in a position with the city that gave her access to the tower clock. So she said, you will have your opportunity, little watch. The next day, a slender thread was let down from the tower and the little watch was tied to it. Slowly and carefully, the watch was hoisted up the side of the tower, rising higher and higher each moment. Of course, when it reached the top, it was completely lost to view. This dramatic illustration, the watch learned that its elevation had affected its annihilation because that high up, no one could see what time it was. There's a powerful lesson in that little illustration that should cause us to understand that God has most of us exactly where He wants us to be. God has most of us, whether you feel like you abound or whether you feel like you've been abased, God knows where you are. And it may not be your time to be high up on the face of the tower clock wall. The great soul gratifying experience of growing where you are planted has to capture us. If it doesn't, then discontentment will. I want to say that again. The great soul gratifying experience of growing where you are planted has to capture us or discontentment will seek us. The Bible is loaded with illustrations of men who've lived out their lives in the darkness of discontentment compared to others who lived in a state of blessed contentment. Nero was growling on the Roman throne while Paul was writing encouraging letters from his prison cell. Ahab was pouting and depressed on his bed at nap time, while Naboth was content in his blooming vineyard. Haman literally fretted himself to a hanging death because a man would literally not tip his hat to him. Ahithophel, one of the greatest lawyers in the Bible, hung himself out of a fear of dying. Discontentment has its consequences in every portion of life. And if we are warned not to buy into the myth of greener grass on the other side of the fence, and if we're not warned to do that, then our lives can unravel. Every relationship around us can unravel. Our relationship with God can unravel. 
consequences, dis, uh, rather discontentment has its consequences in every portion of our life. There are consequences of discontentment. Discontentment leads to prayerlessness. Discontentment leads to double-mindedness. Discontentment leads to blame. Discontentment leads to a soul hunger that will literally destroy the man or the woman. Discontentment leads to anger. It leads to depression. It leads to self-centeredness. It leads to self-pity. There has to be. There has to be. A certain vigilance in our lives against this deadly trap of the devil. When we read from our text that it is, that it is something that has to be learned. This means there will be classrooms of life that will stretch and challenge us into what God wants us to be. Paul said, I have learned. And I believe sometimes the reason we keep repeating Classes of spirituality, if you will. We keep going in that vicious circle. It's because we can't learn this one bottom line principle. And we fail to understand that I can do all things. We quote that scripture. We sometimes testify about that scripture. We read that scripture. But the practice of it oftentimes in our lives is lacking. When you are abounding, we have a propensity to say, I can do all things for Christ. But when we are being abased, when the rug has been jerked out from under us, for whatever reason it doesn't matter, then all of a sudden God can't help us. If ever there were a man to live who had the soul the size of a mountain, It would be the great Apostle Paul, but the Apostle spent 40 years in school. He spent 40 years in the school of spirituality. Listen to Pastor this morning. He spent some 40 years before he reached a point where he could pen the words of that verse. This didn't come off the cuff with Paul. This wasn't just dreamed up out of his mind. This wasn't just a grumble he was having. As a matter of fact, he was writing it during the worst, one of the worst moments of his life. He said, I have learned that where I've been abased or whether I'm bound, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Spent 40 years in the school of spirituality before he could write this passage under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We should not be discouraged about pursuing this character quality of contentment in our Christian life. It won't come to us in just a matter of two or three prayer sessions or two or three weeks of reading the Bible or two or three months of coming to church. It will come to us as we enter the schools, uh, the training, the, the pressure points, those moments that are trying, those moments that are full of despair and heartache and disillusionment. It's until you go through those moments that these words really begin to register. I have sense enough to know here this morning that there's people all scattered all across this building. You've been through more in life than what you would choose to. There were things, there's things that you've been through you didn't sign up for. There's things you've experienced you didn't have a choice. There's people here again with their back against the wall with marital issues and, and having problems with their kids and, and having problems with, with, with their marriage and, and having problems with your job. And, but it's things that you didn't do per se. It's things you didn't ask for. You were the proverbial victim of circumstance. So it's easy for me here to 
say today, when my income is okay and the church is okay and everything in my life is going pretty good, I can preach this and I can preach this with fervency and anointing, but let the rug get jerked out from under me and see what I preach like. I remember. There's, there's several families here today that remember. When our church split, when it was in Baker, we lost over a third of our church over a two-week span. I was devastated. But those same families that are here today will tell you when I realized that the whirlwind was over and, and all this devastation had come to our church and there were more empty seats than full seats and, and it was devastating and it was a horrible time. I did walk to the pulpit on that third Sunday after it happened and I preached like the house was on fire. And I'm thankful to say it's only because I'd been through a few things and I understood that God had not turned His back on me. God didn't fail. God didn't do me wrong. It wasn't a God thing. It was a man thing. It was a circumstance thing. And I'm here to tell somebody today, when you get up and walk out on God, it's a myth that the grass will be greener where you're going. And sometimes it takes going through some things. To really learn this principle. Paul was certainly an example of a man who had endured many things to get to this point in his walk with God. There's some key words that give us an indication of the kind of content that Paul was subjected to in his classroom with the Holy Ghost. Paul knew the experiences of suffering. Read his resume about how many times he had been shipwrecked and then beaten and left for dead. Read it. And man had been, excuse my expression, but he'd been to hell and back more than once. If anybody was qualified to write such a statement, it was Paul. His experience, his tenure, his resume backed it up. He knew, he knew what it was like to suffer. One trip to prison took care of that. And he went to prison more than once. He understood what it was like to endure the stigma and the reputation that came with the status of being a convicted felon. Consider being locked up in prison with your back beaten, not only bloody but bruised. Imagine being thrown to the ground in the prison and the dirt coming in contact with that open raw wound. The dirt was, was entered when the dirt was introduced, teeming masses of germs crept in within a few hours and Paul was delirious with fever because of the infection running rampant through his body and there was no answering there was no Tylenol there was no ibuprofen there was not a doctor nothing was offered for his pain tack on the pitiful amounts of stale uh, dirty bread and consider the rancid water that was passed to him every day in the clay cup this was the school from which Paul said I have learned therefore I have learned, I've learned, literally having the life beat out of you to the point you are physically incapacitated was where Paul learned his deep contentment with life. But there's a few other tenets of dark experiences that Paul had to endure. He knew the forsaking of Demas. He knew the hateful opposition of an Alexander. He knew the bitter persecutions at the hands of Hymenaeus. He knew what it was like to be in the middle of a church conflict in Corinth. He knew what the blows to his reputation had been like from the elders in Galatians. On and on the list could go. But it was through all of this that Paul said I've learned 
I've said it many times through the years. That when you come out of that deep, dark trial, that deep, dark time of persecution, and when life just isn't fair, if you can survive it, you come out of that more developed, with more strength, more maturity than you did when you went in. And I believe that's one of the things the devil don't want to happen to us. Because if you can survive that moment of bloody combat, spiritually speaking, with the devil, with people, with whatever you want to put in that blank, if you can survive that, you're going to come out of that, and you're going to zoom out a little bit, and you're going to see where God was with you before it started, He was with you in the middle of it, and He's with you at the end of it. And the devil does not want you to have that knowledge. The devil wants to convince you that men are evil. That men do horrible things and that God really doesn't care. And if God really loved you, He would have saved you from all of that. And God says, no, the only way gold is refined is through fire. And we will never amount to anything unless we're tried. Being tried brings out the best in all of us. And we should all know that. God, help us to understand that whether I'm being abased or whether I abound, I will depend on the Lord because I can do all things. What do you do with a man like Paul? He's not a victim of his circumstance. He's a master of his circumstances. He's not a victim. He's a master of his circumstances. There are some people here today that are stalwart, buddy. There's people here today again. I don't mean to be repetitive. But there's been there's stuff you've been through that you didn't sign up for. But you're still here. You're still here. You know the devil I'm still here thing that we say sometimes? That's dissed. You know, if you ever heard young people say, boy, they got they boy, they got dissed it. I think we need to diss the devil once in a while and just say, you know what, dude? I'm still here against every plot and scheme you've come against me. I'm still here, and I still worship this morning, and I still lifted my hands, and I still clapped my hands, and I still have a good attitude, and I'm still believing in Jesus, and I still love the Lord. It's a myth. This grass is greener business. I was riding my motorcycle several months ago up, uh, what is it, Brother Nathan, that goes to Centerville from here? 19? Is it Highway 19, you think? And I saw a cow, the proverbial cow, who was perhaps the inspiration to this statement. It stuck his head through two strands of barbed wire. His neck getting all nicked, the top of his head getting all nicked up for that grass. Just on the other side, I want to stop and take a picture of it. I'm regretting now I didn't do it. It worked perfect for this message today, but you get the point. And I thought, dude, look around you. you got a whole pasture behind you with grass just as green as the grass you're eating right now. It don't get greener when you change the status of your relationship with God. 
the grass don't get greener. Have you ever followed somebody on Facebook? I hadn't done that in 100 years. Best decision I've ever made. If y'all would study and pay attention to the news of where Facebook was going right now and censoring free speech and all that, and they banned a bunch of people from Facebook, you'd, you'd get off of it, just saying. That's going to be on our church Facebook thing, so I'm sure they'll appreciate the, <laughs> the, the, the little help in their marketing. If Grace Church gets banned this coming week, you will know why, right? Because pastor couldn't keep his dumb mouth shut. <laughs> but they'll put on there, this little gal will put on there, in a relationship. And boy, it'll run for two or three months, and all of a sudden you see, out of a relationship. No longer in a relationship. Something happened. I don't like that guy anymore. He didn't buy me roses, whatever it was. An elderly preacher was asked one time by a much younger minister how he had passed through so many dark trials and no one had ever heard him complain. In fact, he always seemed to be cheerful and content throughout all of his troubles. So the elderly preacher told the young man that it had to do with making the right use of his eyes. The young minister was confused and said, I don't understand. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? And the elderly preacher said, that when he met any trial, he would remember heaven and think to himself, that's the goal. And life is just a conduit for me to get there. He then would look at where he was standing at what small a space he was standing on and realize how small of a piece of ground he would need to be buried when he died. The last thing he would do was look around this world and see how many other people had it a whole lot worse than he did. And it was through doing that he said that he learned to be content in whatever state he was in. Paul also knew what it was like to live in the realm of spiritual power. He knew how to be abased, but he also knew how to live in that realm of spiritual power and to abound. He knew the height of revelation from the third heaven. He had been exposed to the joy of successful missionary journeys. He knew the blessings that came from brotherhood. He knew the experience of vast numbers of harvests in Ephesus. Paul was, was no stranger to success either. We find very few lessons, however, in the Bible on how to abound. More saints and more preachers experience failure during their days of abounding than ever during the duress of being abased. Paul knew what it was like to experience the high hopes of spiritual planes and that it was a great temptation to failure. So the classroom of contentment marked him with a thorn. The classroom of contentment gave him a thorn. He asked to have that thorn removed and God said, My grace is sufficient. Our world mostly believes that it is very hard to get rich, but a very easy thing to be rich. There are many hidden dangers in the deep waters of success. Thomas Manton said, A garment which is too long trails in the mire and soon becomes a dirty rag. It goes through the mud. Sister Murph. 
And it's easy for large estates to become much the same. It is a hard lesson to learn to abound. We say such a one would do well to be a lord or lady, but it's a harder thing than we think. The goal of contentment desires to produce in us is multiple, but I want to briefly mention just three. Number one, faith that soundly believes in God. Faith that soundly believes in God and the promises only He can bring to us, whether little or much that comes in our way of blessing. Number two is humility of the heart that neither rises nor falls with our successes or failures, but is always even killed. And number three is a weaning from this world so that we're not distracted with the lower affairs of this world, but with the things of God. These are the things we should pursue in our lives of worship. And if you look around your life, there are blessings that come from every direction. Your job perhaps sustains you in ways that you don't realize. The family that you do have nestled around you or apart that adds responsibility that makes you who you are and the church you attend creates godly accountability that keeps many us many of us from straying into the depths of sin and the limited resources you work with every week creates wisdom in, in you that will bless you in later years and the rough path you're on causes you to reach up and take a hold of the hand of God the rough path that you're on right now causes you to reach up and take the hand of God. The wall of success that you lament that you do not have has spared you from more deadly temptation than you'll ever understand. The troubles you may hate are what cause you to keep pressing on for the hope that lies before you. Gratitude is not just a gift, it's a mindset. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, but godliness with contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. And For we brought nothing into this world, he said, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. My terminology is you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. He said, having food and raiment Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The writer of Hebrews said, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men can do to me. This thing of contentment just don't stop. Its parameter goes beyond money and fine things. I've heard people say, I wish my marriage was as good as theirs. I've heard people say that I wish I had kids as good as brother and sister so-and-so. 
But God didn't choose you to be them. And God didn't choose someone else's spouse to be yours. And God didn't choose someone else's kids to be yours. And the list goes on. God didn't choose it that way. I'm not so naive here this morning to believe that the steps of a good man are ordered to the Lord. But the Bible never promised that that would be a tiptoe through the tulips. The beauty of Paul's statement to me, I think of the words of Johnny Mitchell often. I think of them often. And his little Cajun accent would say, Brother, life isn't always fair, but God is always fair. And so there's people here this morning. You're struggling with discontentment. You're not happy. But it's because of things you didn't sign up for. I think we can deal with unhappiness when we know we're the one that did it. We can deal with it better and we can deal with it differently. But when you're unhappy at the hands of someone else, it's a little harder to deal with because we have a propensity to say, God, I was doing my best. I was obeying your word. I was living out the Bible to the best of my ability. I was faithful to the house of God. I was faithful in my prayer life. I was faithful in Bible reading. But this thing happened. And so what we do is think the grass is greener if we have a different attitude. We think the grass is greener if we have a different point of view. We think the grass is greener if we have a different mentality. So we use our bitterness to empower us. We use our hurt to enable us. We use our disappointment to give us a reason. And so we think that's going to be better. Now I have a reason. I have an excuse to be living where I'm living with the attitude I have with the mentality I have. Men do that. Men create circumstances and situations whereby that happens. And then the devil jumps on the bandwagon and says, See, if God really loved you, that wouldn't have happened. None of that is true. The steps of a good man are order of the Lord. Paul said, I've learned that when I'm being abased, that I'm going to be content why? Because God's with me. And because He's with me, I can do this. I can get through this. And then when you come out of it, you look back and say, you know what? I made it. I made it. I made it through that church split in Baker. I didn't resign. I didn't quit. I wanted to. Y'all have heard that story. I went and told Sister Murph, I'm giving it up. I'm quitting. Not only am I going to quit the church and resign the church, I'm just getting out of the ministry. I'm going to go call my old employer in the civil engineering company I work for and see if they'll hire me. I went and called the dude. They said, send us a resume, man. We're looking for people like you. And when I hung up the phone, God hit me in the back of the head. Literally, uh, not literally, obviously, but it seemed like that's what I felt. Figuratively speaking, God hit me in the head and said, what are you doing? I take it to the spot. I cried and repented. Told Sister Murphy 15, 20 minutes later, I changed my mind. We're going to stay at the church. We're going to keep preaching. Let me, let me bring this home right now and I'll have you stand. 
You see all this right here that I'm looking at? Can y'all look around and see kind of what I'm looking at? This is what I would have missed had I walked away. I'd have been a fool. I went to the School of Spirituality. I remember that year, the first Monday of 2007, and I went to the church every day, Monday through Friday. Got there at 9 o'clock, and I didn't leave until I felt some sense that God was with me, which equated to about 1 or 2 in the afternoon. I prayed the entire time. By the end of February, I had a visible manifestation from God, and He assured me, that if you'll hang with me, you're going to come out of this okay. He dropped this building in our lap and our church has exploded in growth. Look what I would have missed. But because I was willing to stay in the class and learn that spiritual lesson about being abased and about abounding and that I can do this through Christ because he will give me strength. If you'll stand with me this morning, I want to encourage somebody. I want to try to help somebody here this morning. There's folks spattered all throughout this building this morning that need to hear what I'm about to say. The trial that you're living right now, the moment you're living right now. Somebody said one time, there's three categories of people in every church service. You have people that's about to go through a trial. You have people that are in one and you have people coming out of one. For the people that's in one right now. And there's folks all across the building that are. This moment that God has placed you in is not a license for you to walk away. That's not the point. The point is so you can reach up and grab a hold of his hand. And a week later, a month later, six months later, a year later, you'll look back to this moment and say, that's where God saved me. That's the moment that God helped me from not doing something really stupid. I stayed with it, whatever it is. I hung in with it. I allowed God to encourage me. I allowed the Holy Ghost to encourage me. I allowed the Spirit of the Word of God to encourage me. I allowed the preacher to encourage me that day. And it made sense to me. It resonated to me that if I walk away from God, how is that going to improve my life? How is that going to make it better? It's the myth of greener grass. Get your head out from between the barbed wire. It's tearing up your throat. The grass behind you is just as green as the grass in front of you. Folks, I can't help it. I'm feeling that rush of the Holy Ghost right now. God is wanting to end this with a huge exclamation point. He's asking somebody to lift up that hand and take a hold of mine and watch what I can do. Watch me take you through the rest of this. Watch me have you come out of this smelling like a rose. God knows what to do with our life and He knows what to do with our mentality and He knows what to do with how we think and He knows how to change our perspective. He knows all of that. But you have to reach up a hand Take a hold of his. 
And if you will, it changes everything. Yes, it does. Can we wait just for a moment while Casey's playing softly? Can we just wait on the Holy Ghost for a minute? I want somebody to marinate in this. I feel the gifts of the Spirit moving right now and just want somebody to marinate in what you've just heard. I want it to sink in before we change the order of this service. Would somebody let the Lord have his way right now? The truth is known. If what we think is contentment is really a little more misery, because in all the spattering of things that's happened in our lives, we somehow know deep down that our relationship with God is not really where it should be, and that's what's really troubling. I think we all know that if our relationship with God is healthy, then we're going to be okay. God's going to get us through whatever it is we're going through. As they begin to sing softly, I'm going to ask everybody across the building this morning, would you just lift your hands where you stand? Just lift your hands toward heaven and let's pray right now that the Spirit of the Lord would have His way. There's some people here today with some needs. There's some folks here today that needs this moment right now. Let's talk to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I ask you today, as these hands are being raised all over the building, as they're being raised all over the building. It's symbolic of surrender, and we know that, but, but for somebody here today, it's their way of reach, raising their hand up to grab a hold of yours, and they want to feel that nail-scarred hand in theirs, and they want to feel that surge of the Holy Ghost shoot through them right now. God, I pray that you would do that right now. God, I pray that you would do that right now. God, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would have His way. In the name of Jesus. While they begin to sing right now, could we all gather around the front? Let's all gather around the front for a season of prayer, everybody. Would you come? All of our guests, everybody, would you come? Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Let's come and talk to the Lord for just a few moments. Let's talk to the Lord for a few moments. Let's talk to the Lord for a few moments. If you're here today and you need just that little that touch from God, if you need that word of encouragement, you need that moment in the presence of the Lord that's real and fresh and new you're at the right place at the right time bring your heart to the Lord right now it may be shattered and broken but bring it to the Lord right now reach your hand reach forth your hand and grab a hold of his reach forth your hand and grab a hold of his God's waiting God's listening for your voice. Yes, He is. Hallelujah. Name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody worship the Lord right now. Grace Church, help me right now. All across the building, everybody help me right now in Jesus' name. Everybody talk to the Lord. Everybody talk to the Lord.
Hallelujah. Everybody talk to the Lord right now. Would you do it? Everybody talk to the Lord for a few moments. Everybody talk to the Lord. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. That's right. Everybody reach heavenward. Everybody reach heavenward right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I love you today. God, I love you today. God, I love you today. God, I love you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go ahead, folks. The Holy Ghost is moving. The Holy Ghost is moving right now. Hallelujah.